Nation presents a double main event. The Immortal Old Hogan versus 476 pounds of the earthquake. Plus, World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior, defends against ravishing Rick Rude in the confines of a steel cage. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are entering September. What do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? We are going to only have one news story. And out of respect for this legend, it's all that I want to talk about. This man, he was a true legend, icon in the Deep South a hero, and more importantly, a friend. It was my honor and my privilege to have known, to have learned from none other than the Alabama jawjacker, the Georgia jawcracker, Bullet Bob Armstrong, passed away last night through his bout with bone cancer. Joseph Melton James' real name, the patriarch of the Armstrong wrestling family, was 80 years old. He passed away on August 27th, 2020, so... Yeah, we're recording this on the 28th, was, yeah, a very perennial wrestler here in the southeastern United States and worked through five decades, you know, not consistently. I'm not he's he wasn't doing weekly shows for five decades, but he debuted in 1960 and was wrestling up until last year. So uh, and I say wrestling, I mean, you know what I'm talking about when you're when you're 79 years old, your wrestling match is just you getting in the ring and, you know, dropping an elbow or something. It, it wasn't like he was going out there doing a Hell in a Cell match, but it's still pretty impressive to have worked as long as he did and to uh, have a, a family that got work as long as they did. They were all successful in their own right. N- nobody here, though, is, you know, a superstar. I even... As much as I love Road Dog Jesse James, uh, no one here is, none of the Armstrongs are, I would say, on the level of a Ric Flair or, or a Hulk Hogan. But in the southeastern United States, Bob Armstrong is definitely a very memorable character. B- the Bullet, Bob Armstrong, got a lot of work in the South, was featured prominently in various promotions from early on in the uh, NWA till later on in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and uh, then still working shows just in in Georgia around where he lived. So a storied career. But uh, what would you like to say about the bullet here? I was around him growing up going to Smoky Mountain Wrestling shows. I just saw him as a kid and, and just thought that he was great, entertaining, I loved the mask for some reason as a kid. The mask and the fact that he would take it on and off and just it was different. You know, most mask wrestlers, they either wear it or they don't. He stood out as a, you know, as a different type of uh, character and worker as a kid to me. I was fascinated with him. And as he was commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, a storyline that ran for almost two and a half, three years. Uh, I just was blown away by the capabilities that he was able to go in and entertain. You knew 
when that bad to the bone started that he was coming out, he was dancing, he was going to have fun. Everything was good to go. But when that bell rang, man, he was ready to work. He was ready to fight. And he was without a doubt, one of the toughest men to ever come out of the state of Georgia. In my opinion, was in the Marines as a young kid, teenager, um, before he got into wrestling, he yeah, is, went to Korea. He uh, was a firefighter. Yeah, he went on to um, be able to start his career and doing stuff in and around Georgia and Alabama. Uh, even all the way, worked his way up to on October 9th of 1974. He uh, challenged Jack Briscoe for the NWA championship. And that's a big honor. Because Jack Briscoe was looked at as the true worker of the NWA title. And it's still looked at that, that way today. He was one of the very few that he he came in there to go grapple hand-to-hand, amateur-style wrestling. And to be able to hang with somebody like that, or to have your peers think that you can, that you're qualified to do that, that says a lot for him. I think as well as an entertainment, you know, standards that he he did and that we all knew, but also to the side of uh, his in-ring work. I mean, even last year, I'm seeing him work in uh, Rome, Georgia, at a show that we were at, and he goes out there, and it's the cat Ernest Miller, it's Glacier, and it's Bullet Bob Armstrong in the six-man tag. And Bob's, you know, Glacier's getting his butt kicked. You know, Ernest Miller comes in to save. Then they tie, you know, they team up on on the cat. And oh man, that was it. You know, at this point in time, he'd had enough. And he hits the ring, or he comes off the apron into the ring. He starts throwing fists. He starts, you know, grabbing and walking the top rope at 79 years old. And then he's, you know, dropping an elbow and just fascinating stuff for a man his age to still be able to entertain the way in which he did. We announced on here the, the night that he retired. Bullet Bob Armstrong just was a one of those guys that I was around before I got into wrestling. One of those guys that I was around when I got into wrestling and one of those guys that I was around when he retired, uh, just somebody that I had shared a locker room with on numerous occasions. Some, you know, one of those legends that the inside little fan of me is like, holy shit, I'm in a locker room and over in the corner is Bullet Bob Armstrong taking out his mask and lacing up his back. Like, I, I don't deserve to be in this in this locker room with the likes of him. I don't deserve, you know, and then to get the compliments from him and to sit there and to ask questions and to learn and to feed off of his energy, whether it's in the ring or it's in the locker room. That's God. He was just, he was a great, great man. And definitely one of the most popular wrestlers to come out of the Southeast. Yeah, and he got the, uh, the the mask gimmick from breaking his nose while ripping it off his face. He had to get $38,000 of plastic surgery, and while he was uh, recovering from it, he put on the mask, 
because his nose was obviously pretty, pretty fucked up. And so he that's how he became the bullet and uh, would remain the bullet uh, until around 1988, uh, his first retirement. Uh, so, yeah, that's how the bullet gimmick uh, came about. Yeah, he challenged Jack Briscoe for the, the NWA title. Uh, you mentioned his run in Smoky Mountain, where he feuded with Jim Cornette. He also did a few appearances in WCW. He did one appearance in ECW, uh, not as a wrestler, like not as an active performer, but they were honoring Southern wrestlers that night at uh, an ECW show in 98. But in uh, 96, he teamed up with Brad to take on Bunkhouse Buck and Lord Steven Regal in a WCW house show. Uh, also appeared in TNA uh, in storylines involving BG James and four live crew and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Bob was still on TV. I mean, went into the Hall of Fame uh, the year we went to our first WrestleMania 2011. So was still around wrestling TV and <laughs> into uh the new millennium. Well, I mean, into this decade, I mean, it's pretty crazy into the last decade, rather still on TV in some capacity. Pretty impressive. Like I said, you know, uh, he's not going to be revered as someone like uh, a Ric Flair or a Hulk Hogan or someone like that. But there's something to be said for a pro wrestler that has that long of a career that's always able to get work that can always they can plug him into a match and he you know, he can win a little bit, but he loses a lot. I, I mean, he wasn't a jobber by any means, but he certainly was used to uh, on I, like on World Championship Wrestling television in the in the 80s. He was losing a lot, but he was always a dependable worker. And you need people like that. I put him on the level of a Kurt Henning or a Ricky Steamboat or Rick Rude. Somebody that you're you're not. Well, that's think, crazy. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're think. Listen to me. You don't think of when you think of the main event. You're like Hogan, Piper, Flair, Harley Race, yada yada yada. But when you think that mid card, that solid mid card worker, you think of you know Kurt Henning. You think of Tracy Smothers. You think of Rick Rude. You think of Ricky Steamboat. You think of DDP. You think of Bullet Bob Armstrong. You think of all of these great middle, Dean Malenko, these mid-card guys that were the workhorse, that you put them in the ring and you knew they would deliver every single time that's what i mean about him being in that class does that make sense to you yeah I, I mean i agree with what your description of him as you know a solid a solid hand a, a reliable hand and a guy that can work with anybody you know you're not going to get injured you know he's going to make you look good or yeah i mean the, the problem is that he by the time the 80s rolled around he was he was past his prime so yeah like it's hard to compare to a Rick Root or a Mr. Perfect or uh, a DDP because those guys came about when cable was prominently, you know, was was more and wrestling was hotter. I mean, he was on cable on the, the, the classic WCW show for, 
you know, a few matches here and there in the early 80s. But when wrestling really exploded uh, in the in the mid 80s, he's already a little bit past his prime uh, a little bit. I mean, in the 1980s, he would have been in his mid 40s, which I say that, you know, mid 40s then is different from mid 40s now, because, I mean, a guy like AJ Styles is in his mid 40s. And I don't look at him as being in the twilight of his career, but it was different back then. And it's also a guy that didn't wrestle consistently. I mean, he went to the Marines. He was a firefighter. He he didn't he didn't tour across the country. That's why he was a southeastern legend is because he pretty much stayed in in his one area. And so I think it's kind of tough to compare because it's just a different circumstance because he wasn't featured on on the national stage so it's kind of hard to to really put that into perspective and a lot of probably his better matches you know i'd have to go and really seek them out to from the 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 60s you know to actually see a guy in his prime and also i mean the thing that 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 really worked against him though too and being in the 80s and being in your 40s is that he being in the 80s, sorry, not being in his 80s, but uh, his size, I mean, that was all about mass. And, I mean, all the guys you mentioned uh, outside of probably, I mean, even Steamboat had a lot of mass. Outside of DDP, all those guys were very, very big and uh, artificially big. And Bob Armstrong was 5'11", 200-something pounds, and uh, did not, was not sculpted out of, you know, stone. He was... He looked like a guy that you would you would run into at a gas station. Uh, he could beat the shit out of you, probably. But I think that's that's why I can't p- compare. I, I don't think it's fair to to try and compare people featured on the national stage to a regional legend. Uh, but his work rate and his his length of work is certainly something to be applauded. And the fact that all of his sons became wrestlers that. Uh, worked pretty long careers, each of them. Uh, some of them still, to this day, working in the wrestling industry in some capacity is also a testament to his training and his ability because you don't have four sons become somewhat successful pro wrestlers if you don't have any talent. So uh, obviously, yeah, I think he, he he's a solid a solid worker, but I'm not going to put him in the in the upper upper echelon. But that's also just because it's not he was never tested on on that kind of level. It wasn't like it wasn't like Vince scooped him up because or Vince Sr. scooped him up, you know, or somebody you never saw him against Bruno in the garden. You never saw. And, you know, that was that that's Bob Armstrong's choice was to be a regional wrestler. And that's why I kind of disagree with kind of comparing it to the national stage because it's just diff- it's 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 just a weird comparison but as far as a solid worker yeah i mean uh certainly uh one of the best i mean he's a hall of famer uh in multiple hall of fames not just the wwe so uh as because i trash the wwe hall of fame all the time so it's not like he's just in the wwe hall of fame he's in multiple hall of fames he was in the pwi 500 uh, he's been an all times list. I mean, he's he was number 155 of the top 500 wrestlers of the PWI years in 2003. So, I mean, 
Yeah, that's that's notable. It, it just would have been interesting to see had he ever went on the on the national scale in in his prime. It just would have been interesting to see. He was a man's man, the type of guy that you put your hand out, shake his hand, and he gives you his word, and you knew it was true. He was just an old class, old school guy, and a true legend that will be missed throughout the entire Southeast and left a legacy and left a imprint the size of the Grand Canyon on professional wrestling and for to multiple people, even to someone like myself who was generations, generations past his prime. I mean, his prime, we just you said the 60s and 70s. I wasn't even born then. We're talking generations down the road, and he still left an imprint on guys such as myself and others. Uh, so his 50-year career is outstanding, not on the scale of a Ric Flair, but uh, definitely that 50-year career of leaving that mark. Uh, I, def- I put him up there with a Terry Funk. He was way past his prime, but he loved the sport of professional wrestling to the point that he wanted to help further it. He knew that he needed to make this guy look good because his time was vastly coming to an end and that guy needed to carry on. And that's something the likes of people like we've discussed, Hogan and so on and so forth, really didn't like. They didn't want to say, hey, let me give you that rub. Let me give you that push. That's just one of those things. Man. I, I, I'm at a... I really am at a loss for words as to how to go about describing the way it feels to be sitting in a locker room with him, to be talking with him, to be discussing what's going to happen in a match after the match, to be learning from him and asking questions about what it's, you know, how do I pull this off if I'm in this situation? How can I, if I'm on the microphone and I'm, you know, I'm, in this type of situation with the fans not really buying into it or, you know, what, what can I do to hit that last little mark to make them, you know, go, Oh, okay. We actually need to pay attention. You know, what can I, you know, just to learn to be under that learning tree. Definitely. Um, I mean, he's another one like Bobby, like I said, he's just, he's a solid workhorse. You knew when you got him on your card, when he was in your ring, by God, you were getting the very best he absolutely had. And I mean, he he. I mean, eighty years old for a pro wrestler. We we talked about it a, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Kamala, who lived to be seventy. Uh, eighty is for a pro wrestler is is a very ripe old age. Um, but of course, he's from a different generation. Like I said, he wasn't a body guy. He wasn't. He was from a different wrestling generation or wrestlers 
from from our current era might get to 80 year, years old, hopefully. Uh, but wrestlers from all those wrestlers that you mentioned, like Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect, they, they didn't make it that far because uh, the uh, the lifestyle and the things that they were doing to their bodies. Cut, I mean, I was counting... Uh, our review this week was SummerSlam 1990, and there was at least a dozen guys, almost half the card, of act of wrestlers that were in the ring had passed away already. And this was an event just 30 years ago, so these guys were in their 30s and 40s. They should still be alive today, um, but they're but they're not. And uh, but Bob Armstrong came from a different wrestling generation. He was not quite the golden age of wrestling but a little bit after that and uh, I think being a regional wrestler also helped um, obviously you're not going to do as much crazy stuff because you're not on the road 24-7 you're not going to get involved uh, in a lot of the uh, things that even some of his sons uh, struggled with from being on the road all the time and uh, earlier this year his, his wife of 60 years they had, they had just celebrated their uh, 60th anniversary, and she she passed away. So, and usually in, in elderly people, when uh, their spouse passes away, it, it seems like it's almost uh, you're on a clock until the other one passes away. Because, like a good example, like Barbara Bush, like passed away like six months before George H. W. Bush did. So, it's just one of those things. It's really. It's bizarre. I mean, I know he had bone cancer that had spread, but um, I mean, back, I think in March, yeah, in March, uh, Scott had posted a picture of Bob like lifting weights in the garage and stuff. So you can you can deteriorate pretty rapidly if you have a broken heart on top of being sick. So that's probably uh, what what spelled the end for Bob Armstrong, but a very successful career in. I think he has to be uh, remembered as, yeah, a very successful regional wrestler. I'm glad that the WWE put him in the Hall of Fame, even though he was largely a regional wrestler, because that's something that they really don't do unless they sneak him in that that Legends wing that they, you know, just play a video clip of. So I'm glad that they recognize that. But uh, yeah, so uh, Bulla Bob passing away. A uh, big loss, and uh, yeah, he'll he'll be missed certainly in the in the southeast where he wrestled the majority of his career. So, and uh, but obviously his legacy with uh, Road Dog and and Scott uh, still in the business continues continues on, even though Scott just got laid off. But he'll be back, I'm sure, in some capacity. But uh, well, he got furloughed, but. Um, all those championships he won with, with Brad, it's kind of sad that Brad had passed away because we've discussed it many times on here that out of his sons, Brad was probably the best in-ring wrestler. But as I mentioned, he was on the national stage and touring all the time, and he succumbed to uh, that lifestyle, ultimately. So Yeah, we discussed you know, once before that out of the four brothers, Brad was definitely the the best in-ring worker uh, out of all of them, but never really got that get, that push or that gift of gab because he just wasn't uh, he wasn't that good on the mic. So 
that's why he ended up being where he ended up being. Yeah, if he had if he had Brian's uh, gift on the microphone and his wrestling skills, he would have been perfect. He would have been a huge star, but it just didn't work out that way. But uh, you know, Steve and Scott had, uh, you know, they were they were uh, they had reasonably long careers in WCW as a tag team. I mean, they they were still getting work up until the company pretty much folded. So uh, they, they were there until 2000. So for Bob to have trained his sons and the, for them to have gotten and continued to get consistent work in, in wrestling is uh, definitely a big credit. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's all we always talk about Stu Hart and the dungeon and all that and the Hart family dynasty or whatever. But, you know, I mean, they, they were obviously much more well known and they they came from, I mean, in Canada, it's like no matter what part of Canada you're from, you represent the entire country. Uh, so even if you're a star in in one in Calgary, you're a star in Montreal. So like they seem to get a lot of recognition. But I think Bob Armstrong deserves some recognition as well, too, for also raising a successful wrestling family that, um, you know, they weren't like I said you're not there's no superstars to be found here but they were all solid hands and they you need you need people like that you can't always just hire local talent to come in you need solid people uh in your on your staff to uh get the other guys on a level where they can compete like if you don't have a Brad Armstrong on your roster Lex Luger is going to look even worse in the ring when he goes out there because he's got nobody to work with. So uh, that can put him over and put him over good. So, um, yeah. So Bullet Bob. I remember uh, when we saw him. It's now been seven years ago when we went to that show in Rome. Uh, that was in 2013. The, the one the one that I went to, the first one that I went to that he was at. Uh, along with uh, Ivan Putsky or whatever, not Ivan Putsky, uh, <laughs> not Ivan Putsky, uh, the uh, other one, Ivan Koloff. Sorry, <laughs> it was uh, it was Bob Armstrong and Ivan Koloff there, and I remember the 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 fan fair portion of it, the, the expo part or whatever. Bob was just giving away his autographs; he was not charging for them, which I thought uh, speaks a lot to his character because. Every pro I've never in it ever before or after seen a wrestler not charge you for his autograph, and Bob was just handing them out. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. I had I, I thought that spoke a lot about his character. So it's not going to be a carny and charge you twenty dollars for an autograph. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well we've gone on for nearly thirty minutes about Bob Armstrong. And uh, what he meant to you and what he meant to uh, the Southeast region for his contributions. But now we will move on to our pick for this week, which was your pick. And what did you choose for this week? I picked the 1990 SummerSlam. Yes, 1990 SummerSlam, which uh, if you were familiar with what was going on in the WWF at the time, this was... The, uh, the the transition was underway to the the warrior era or so we thought because at WrestleMania of course in Toronto 
uh, Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was a dual champion, which uh, Jack Tunney then stripped him of his IC belt. And then there was a tournament to determine a new champion, which uh, we'll see who won that later on in this evening. But yeah, this was supposed to be uh, the start of a new generation, <laughs> but it was not the new generation. It was the same generation, but it was supposed to be a new top guy. And this was his first big test, his first, uh, well, his second main event, but the, his first as coming in as the champion. And uh, so a lot of pressure here. Uh, they gave him his best opponent to work with. Uh, his best match, in my opinion, was his IC match against uh, Rick Rude uh, a year or two before this. So they gave him his best opponent. They gave him a stipulation. They did all the bells and whistles to make this guy have a good match. Uh, Jim Hellwig, Ultimate Warrior. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and we'll also see how the fans react to and also how Hulk himself reacts to not being on the top spot. Because this is a guy that had been on top of the company for uh, nearly a decade, uh, seven or eight years at this point. And it's not easy to walk away when you are the top guy and uh, to let someone else's star shine a little bit brighter. And uh, we'll see how Hogan handles it here in his first SummerSlam where he's basically not the main event. But he is the main event because it's a co-main event. This is another double main event. We uh, we already reviewed WrestleMania 8 where, again, if Hogan isn't at the very last match, well, brother, you got to make him the co-main event. So uh, we're at the Spectrum. It's August 27th, 1990, almost... 30 years to the day. We're almost reviewing this 30 years to the day. It took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It had 10 televised matches. And, of course, the big double main event where it was Hogan versus Earthquake. And then Warrior versus Rick Rude in a cage for the WWF title. Uh, now, we missed some dark matches. One dark match in particular that might stand out to you because it's a very odd pairing. We miss Shane Douglas taking on Buddy Rose <laughs> in 1990. Buddy Rose wow. was, yeah, but, taking on uh, Dean Douglas. Another, another Southeastern legend. That's, uh, <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, Playboy <laughs> Buddy Rose. Jeez, man, holy shit. Yeah, wow. so uh, we missed the dark match there. Um, now the Vince gives us just a screaming Mr. McMahon introduction of SummerSlam double main event, uh, Hogan and the earthquake. Is this the end of Hulkamania? And then Rick Rude battles ultimate warrior and a still caged SummerSlam. So, uh, weird, uh, pairing here in the booth because it's Rowdy Roddy Piper with Vince McMahon. So no gorilla, uh, no Bobby Heenan. So I think that they were trying to transition uh, away from Bobby and gorilla and gave this a shot. And Piper as a heel commentator, he was good in the warrior match, but the rest of the night, I don't feel like he was very heelish. If that makes sense to you, I think he was pretty much calling it straight 
And, uh, well, as straight as Roddy Piper can call it. And uh, also, the response that Piper gets when they come out of the intro and reveal Vince and Piper standing there, this crowd is going nuts for Piper. You need to get him in the ring. (laughs) I mean, it's just silly that you bench this guy to do commentary. Uh, He might have been injured at the time. I don't recall the circumstance of why he was in the booth. But, I mean, man. The crowd was going crazy for this guy. They loved Piper. So, yeah, kind of strange to see him here uh, in the booth with Vince. And a pre, you know, late 90s Vince McMahon just, oh, he's, he got slightly better. I'll give him some credit. He got slightly better. He learned a couple of moves by the time it was 1997, but not many. Um, The Piper chants are just through the roof as... Uh, they they go over the card and get everyone hyped for SummerSlam. Our first match are the Rockers, Marty Jannetty, who we did a whole episode about basically a couple weeks ago, is with Shawn Michaels. But Shawn Michaels, unfortunately, has a legit knee injury. So this is really a handicap match, but this is what they used to do back in the day. Oh, you've got a knee injury and we've already booked you in a match? Uh, or you've got a head injury or whatever injury like they did the same thing with the British Bulldogs. That means one of you will go out there and just lay down and then the other one. Well, you're just going to have to work a handicap match. Good luck. So Paul Roma, the. Was he a no, he's a future four horseman at this point, I think he's he's pre four horseman here. Paul Roma of power and glory uh, was feuding with the Rockers. On superstars, Roma then got attacked after a match by Dino Bravo. When the Rockers came to the ring, Roma thought the Rockers had attacked him. So this was, I guess, Paul Roma's heel turn, and then Hercules came to back him up. So Power and Glory are a newly formed tag team. They formed on the Brother Love Show. So there you go. And that's how we got to this match. To explain why Sean can't wrestle, Hercules jumps him with his chain. His chain that it seemed like he never used, uh, but sparingly. He's sort of like Jim Duggan with his 2x4. He would bring a weapon out and then rarely use it. Uh, But this time he did. And he attacks Shawn Michaels with the chain. And Marty battles him off. Paul Roma joins in and throws Marty in the ring. And... Just the size difference between these two teams, Patrick, is just enormous. I mean, power and glory, uh, probably 600 pounds combined of nothing but steroids and muscle. And then you have the Rockers, who were probably combined uh, 350. (laughs) And so, um, I mean, they they were pretty big here, too, but not, I mean, it was just ridiculous the size difference between these guys i just can't believe that not even paul roma but the fact that hercules was just so freaking massive man i mean his forearms were as big as my legs you know we talked earlier during the the bob armstrong thing about wrestlers passing away pretty young he i mean he passed away I mean, a few years. I mean, he did not live very long, and you could see <laughs> why one of the reasons might be. 
Paul Roma joins in, throws Marty in the ring. Marty clears out. Power and glory all by himself. So Marty's going to be able to do this because he hits a drop kick and rams their heads together. So Marty is going to single-handedly win this match for the Rockers. Power and Glory eventually stop him and beat him down, but Marty rolls up Roma for a near fall, and Slick had the ref distracted, so it didn't get counted to uh, the three, basically. Uh, Marty dumps Hercules out of the ring, and it's going to be Marty and Roma as Hercules kicks Sean's leg again because Sean would occasionally say, okay, I'm going to try and get in the ring, and that means one of Power and Glory has to go kick his leg. So Hercules kicks Sean legs, so he, he falls down again. Marty tries a sunset flip pin to Roma, but he makes a tag to Hercules. Roma kicks Sean's leg again. So as I mentioned, anytime Sean would start to get towards the ring, I'd just go kick him a little bit and he'll fall right back down. Hercules uh, gets press slammed by Marty, which was pretty cool. Marty rolls through a scoop slam attempt by Hercules, and he makes a tag to Roma, who gets a near fall on Marty. Marty fires up, power slams Roma, super kicks Hercules, drops a big right hand from the turnbuckle to a down Paul Roma, but Hercules breaks the cover. Power and Glory then double-team Marty while Sean continues to sell his leg. Hercules wants a superplex to Marty, and he gets it, and then Roma splashes him off the opposite buckle. This was their tag-team finisher, which is something that's sort of gone away in wrestling. And pins him with one foot. He does the Chris Jericho pin here as Roma uh, does the one foot pin on poor old Marty, who actually, out of all four guys, looked awesome in this match. Uh, Marty looked great in this match. What did you think of this opening match? Oh, God, yeah. Marty looked outstanding. He carried <laughs> he carried the match uh Two jacked up guys that don't know how to work and the fact that his partner couldn't. I mean, this <laughs> if Marty could work like this all the time, he would have been a main event. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one thing. I mean, that's why he kept getting so many chances. And, you know, the company is because, like, you see stuff like this, you know, when he's on his game, when he's, you know, when he's got his head on straight, he can put on. A hell of a show, and uh, I thought this was a really good showing for him. It might be one of his best matches, to be honest. Yeah. And that's weird yeah. when one of your best matches is a handicap match in which you lost. But um, yeah, he definitely made those two big dudes look awesome, and uh, he looked good himself too. It's it's one of those times where a loss actually you still look good taking the loss, and yeah. Um, so Power and Glory then throw Michaels into the ring, and now Power and Glory are going to beat down the Rockers even more. And so romantic here, uh, Patrick, as Marty shields Sean from, from the beatdown. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as as you and I would do if we were ever attacked out in public, you would, you would of course, cover me and shield me from, from attack. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not let anything happen. Sean is carted off as we go to Mr. Perfect, who's with Sean Mooney. Mr. Perfect says, yeah, I got this match on short notice. Bobby Heenan says about his opponent, the Texas Tornado. Yeah, you've seen one, you've seen them all. They're all the same. Uh, So uh, I'll include the promo. This is a good promo by Heenan and Perfect. Um, To be perfectly honest with you, I haven't. You see, being absolutely perfect does have its problems because when you're a perfect 
intercontinental champion. Challengers are few and far between. And let's face it, everybody knows I'm perfect in every way. The perfect body, the perfect mind, and the perfect record. Mr. Perfect, is it wise to accept a challenge from someone you know so little about? Wait a minute, pal. I'll handle this one. You see, I know a lot about this Texas tornado. Because if you've seen one, you've seen them all. And you know why they call you the Texas Tornado? Because you've got your head in the clouds. And if you've got your head in the clouds, pal, you don't have your feet on the ground. You see, a Texas Tornado never really does any damage because you can spot one coming a mile away. Sure, they may look ferocious, but all they're really good for is kicking up some dust and maybe turning over a few mobile homes in some hick trailer park on the panhandle. <laughs> Remember this! Nobody beats Mr. Perfect! Nobody. Now, this match uh, was actually going to be, uh, and I'm glad that it happened this way, <laughs> because it was originally going to be Beefcake versus Mr. Perfect, as uh, Mr. Perfect lost at WrestleMania six on the for, for the for the first time on TV to Brutus Beefcake. So Brutus Beefcake was going to challenge him for this belt, but got in his parasailing accident, his infamous parasailing accident, and was unavailable. So instead, we got the relatively new. This wasn't his debut, but Kerry Von Erich, uh, Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. Um, who is backstage with Mean Gene Okerlund. And boy, uh, you know, when Vince said, you're a tornado, just be a, just, you're just out there, just, you're a Texas, you're from Texas, and you're just scooping everything up, and you're just throwing it around like a tornado. With me now, ladies and gentlemen, the Texas Tornado, a man who in just a short period of time has taken, if you will, the World Wrestling Federation by storm. That's right, Mean Gene. There are tornado warnings at the SummerSlam, but the only tornado you have to worry about, Mr. Perfect, is the one that's going to come out of that black cloud hanging over your head right now. When it touches down in the ring, it's going to destroy everything in its path. You see, you must not know much about the Texas Tornadoes because, Mr. Perfect, they're powerful, they're unpredictable, they're devastating. And when our match is over and the Texas Tornado heads back up into the clouds, I'll be taking with me the Intercontinental Championship belt. That's it from here, Vince. Let's get back to you. Well, Kerry took this to heart in his promo as everything was just a tornado pun here as they're going to be tornado warnings at the SummerSlam. The tornado is going to touch down and destroy everything it sees, and it's going to take the IC belt with it back to the clouds. So um, lots of tornado puns from Carrie Von Erich. Mr. Perfect, as I said, was out first. They did a lot of this tonight where the first guy would go to the ring. They'd go to an interview with the second guy, and so the first guy would just stand there while his theme music played. A trend that they would go away from for a few years, and in 2020, it's like that. When they get back to running live shows, I, I hate this. When when one guy's just standing around while his theme song loops. Um, but Kerry Von Erich comes out, and he gets a good reaction, even though the crowd probably not too familiar with him in Philadelphia. But he looks he looks great. He's got the look of a of a of a star. So they recognize that. 
Mr. Perfect hip tosses Carrie and gets a towel from Bobby to wipe the sweat off his face. Oh, how cute. Carrie slams Perfect, clotheslines him out of the ring. Mr. Perfect regroups with Bobby Heenan. Perfect lays out Carrie with a forearm and some chops. He does a signature neck snap, locks in a sleeper. Then he shoves Carrie to the ropes and takes some slaps to the face from the tornado. Mr. Perfect shoves Carrie to the ropes and then slaps uh, Carrie in the face a few times. But Tornado hulks up, catapults Mr. Perfect to the buckle. He puts on the iron claw, but of course, Vince had to change his finisher. Nobody likes that claw. That's that's stupid. You gotta do a, a tornado-looking move. So he does his discus punch instead. One, two, three. Carrie upsets the favorite Mr. Perfect, and, and, and Carrie upsets Mr. Perfect and wins the Intercontinental title. What did you think of this match, Patrick? Oh, it was one of the best matches of the night. Uh, I thought it was good because it was a lot of, um, again, just like the first match with Marty, it was Mr. Perfect doing a lot of selling for Carrie and making Carrie look good. Uh I think Kurt Hennig, uh, Mr. Perfect, was thinking in his mind that, well, Warrior's going to probably be champion for a while, and they're going to need a heel contender. So I'm going to go ahead. You know, I don't mind dropping this IC belt. I'm going to make this guy look good on my way up. But it just didn't pan out for Mr. Perfect uh, that way. But, yeah, I thought that, unfortunately, I didn't think much of Carey's performance other than he looked the part. He did what the basics that he needed to do and that's not look foolish and and mr perfect just sort of bumped around for him and this is uh carrie's peak in the wwf unfortunately a very short run with the ic belt in fact by the time you get to survivor series 1990 he'd already lost the belt now he appears with the belt at survivor series but he had lost it already on a pre-taped main event so it hadn't aired yet. So he had to walk out there with he was on the Warriors team at Survivor Series. It was the modern day warrior. It was the road warriors and it was the ultimate warriors. My favorite Survivor Series team of all time. But Carrie had to walk out there with a belt that he had already lost because of taping. So, uh, yeah. And then it was a, a quick exit pretty much after that for Carrie and the decline. But. So this is it, this is his peak, and it's right out of the gate. So it, it's unfortunate, and it's unfortunate for him too. How similar he looks to Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior. I think that also hurt him too because they look very similar. Uh, yeah, it, it's like the Warrior without face paint. Uh, yes, yes, and Vince wasn't going to just. I mean, you can't have two of the same looking style people right and Vince is it's you know oh my god I can't that that takes away from the characteristic of that one specific person and Warriors a champion and well sorry you're just out of luck uh this was just the second pinfall loss on TV for perfect who had he had lost on untelevised matches so it wasn't like this was a, an undefeated streak but uh yeah he lost to beefcake at six and then lost here to the texas tornado mean gene 
is with Heenan and Perfect, not the winner, Kerry Von Erich. So we're off to a good start there when you interview the loser. Uh, Heenan bitches about the tornado breaking every rule in the book. Uh, then Mr. Perfect claims he got thrown into the post, which is a totally legal move. So I don't know what he's complaining about. No justice out there at the worst officiating in the world. This Texas tornado broke every rule from the time the bell rang until the time it was over. Don't cry, Bobby. I'm not crunching on my case. I'll knock you out, you miserable. Nobody beats Mr. Perfect. Texas Tornado, you come on the scene. You make the scene happen. You wipe it out for Mr. Perfect. You come right from under everybody, and you take the Intercontinental Championship. Well, the lump on my head is from the post. And you, Texas Tornado, I will be back for you to reclaim what rightfully belongs to the family. Never before have I been humiliated. The worst officiating I ever saw. Well, blame it the on him. The moron can't count. One, two, the shoulder is up. But no, he counts everything we... To, to settle, both of you settle down. You're totally out of line here. You're out of control. I'll be back, Texas Tornado. What's rightfully mine will be returned to the I don't like the sound of this, Vince. Let's get back to you out of the arena. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they, they whine and complain, but they do it good here, too. I'm going to... Bobby Heenan was a really uh, a big star on this show. He was, I would say, probably the MVP of this pay-per-view. That's why he wasn't in the booth, because he had a lot of work to do tonight. So that explains his absence. But I don't know, I, I don't know where Gorilla was. We go to Queen Sherry coming out in a, it uh, looks like a Jeff Hardy Willow mask and a strange <laughs> outfit. She's going to take on Sweet Sapphire and... Um, Sapphire's music plays, which is Dusty Rhodes' theme, of course, and no one comes out. Fink says, hey, she's got to be here in 30 seconds or she forfeits. Vince says, I'm not sure she can make it here in 30 seconds, so it's a, a very thinly veiled fat joke from Vince about Sapphire. Uh, 30 seconds, we just count it down, and Sherry wins by forfeit. So great match. Five stars. Uh, I love it. More of that, please. Um Gene is with Dusty Rhodes. Dusty doesn't know where Sapphire is. And, uh, yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes in and says, I hadn't seen her either. And, uh, okay. I saw you and Sapphire arrive here today at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Perhaps you can shed some light on Sapphire's current whereabouts. I'll tell you, Mean Gene, I don't know. I wish I knew what she was. Ten minutes after we got to the building, she disappeared. And I went looking for her. I searched the building high and low. I looked in every nook and cranny. Asked every security guard. I said, hey, have you seen Sweet Sapphire? It's almost as she disappeared in the thin air. I don't mind telling you, Mean Gene, and everyone who's listening. I'm worried. I'm worried big time. Because she's never done anything like this before. Hey, Hacksaw, have you seen Sapphire, baby? No, no, I haven't, Dust. But we're all still looking for her. Well, what about these gifts she's been receiving, Dusty? I know you've been concerned about the anonymous and certainly the lavish nature of them. You bet I'm concerned, Gene, because nobody gets something for nothing. But that's not my business. It's sweet Sapphire's business. And besides, she's been the happiest she's ever been. She got a diamond ring. She got a full-league mink coat. She got a diamond and sapphire necklace. She got a cruise around the world. She got a gold bracelet. And she got a brand new Cadillac. But, baby, where is she? I'm sorry, Gene. I got to go and find Sapphire. There you go. Uh, we learned that she got a diamond ring, a cruise, a gold bracelet, and a Cadillac. Patrick, boy, what a mystery. 
what character has a bunch of money to throw around? This is going to really puzzle me until it's revealed later on in the night. I think it was Dusty buying it for. Yeah, in real life, Dusty did have a lot of money. So hey, that would be a great... If they had turned Dusty Rhodes into a heel, like a million-dollar man type, uh, that would be pretty funny, actually. I would love to see him try to play that. Uh, try to play a Ric Flair. Like, try to... I would love to, like... When when Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes used to go hang out in Vegas or whatever, I bet Dusty did impress you know in, impersonations of Ric Flair, and I bet they were really funny because uh, that's what it would be if he was ever to try to be uh, a heel with a bunch of money. Um, Dusty leaves to go look for Sapphire, uh, and he takes Hacksaw with him, and uh, we'll see if they're successful later on. We go to the ring. Here's another massive man <laughs> who is still alive to this day. Warlord. Warlord, who uh, if you squinted your eyes, you'd be like, um, what's Goldberg doing here in 1990? What's Steve Austin doing here in 1990? Well, that's after he takes his mask and his little scepter away. But when he's just in his black tights and he's bald, he's got a killer mustache. But from a distance, it looks like a goatee. But this man had mass on mass and uh, little little else to offer in the way of wrestling skills. Um, he's here with Slick, another guy. Slick got all the uh, the muscle geeks here. Uh, Tito Santana, before he was El Matador, is here to take him on. Tito, Tito man, it's 1990. You gotta get some new gear. He's still got his Strike Force shit uh, on. Um, come on, Tito. Um, now this is when, uh, Piper gets a little, uh, insensitive to Tito's plight. Uh, Roddy Piper says he won't call him a bean eater. And then he just piles on the Mexican insults throughout the match. And, uh, he was taking up the mantle from, uh, another wrestler, uh, Jesse, the body Ventura, who, uh, did this throughout the eighties and called him Chico and everything else. And, uh, Piper said, hey, I'm going to go down that road, too. Piper, who once wrestled a match, half black. Uh, so he went down that road as well. Uh, Tito takes Warlord out of the ring with a series of drop kicks. Warlord gets back in the ring, slams Tito, but Tito just leaps onto his shoulders and takes him down with strikes. They go back outside, and uh, Warlord rams Tito's head into the ring post, Warlord takes control when they get back in the ring, but Tito clotheslines him for a near fall. We get the, and I'm calling it this because this was another wrestler's move, but it's a flying forearm, but I, I always call it, the, and I'm just calling it this because this is what the, they used to, the flying burrito, okay? It's a flying burrito, but Warlord gets a foot on the ropes. We get the running power slam and a rare in my experience of watching Warlord matches, a win, a running power slam gets the win on Tito. Despite he had the jobber entrance. He didn't even get a theme song or a walk, you know, a slick intro. Like he was a I, jobber. I, so that's because it's so big and massive, it was going to take him two hours to get to the ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They needed to just put him in there. He gas out on the way to the ring. <laughs> he, exactly. He'd need to sit down. Um, so, yeah, this match was a match that happened. This is one of the worst matches on this card, and it was uh, entirely on Warlord. 
as Tito can usually work a decent match. Uh, Survivor Series promo voiced over by Vince. Sean Mooney's with Demolition, and they've got a new member, a relatively new member. It's a guy named Crush, which uh, fits. It's it's amazing they found someone, Patrick, that has a name similar to theirs and also has face paint and uh, leather uh, weird BDSM garb that they just it's weird that they just found this guy. Uh, It's amazing the luck they had. So they've got a new member crush. They tease using the Freebird rule. They don't call it that. And uh, they're going to confuse the Hart Foundation because you don't know which one of us is going to come out there and wrestle. Well, joining me now, Demolition, Axe, Smash, and and Crush. Gentlemen, I thought that this two out of three false title defense uh, restricted the presence of only two members of Demolition at SummerSlam. You didn't read a fine print, Mooney. It says only two Demolition at ringside. But which two, Mooney? Yeah, is it me and Axe? Or me and Smash? Is that me and Crush or me and Smash? Maybe it's me with Axe, or maybe it's me with Crush. Gentlemen, I'm getting a little confused. Well, that's the idea. You're catching on, but it's too late for the Hart Foundation to catch on. We're demolition, and just like the name says, we're going to demolish the Hart Foundation. Just like we've demolished every tag team that's got in our path. Well, certainly standing in your path, should you be successful here tonight, would be your next challengers, the Legion of Doom. Hey, they're just a couple of second-rate imposters who need their butts kicked and their teeth kicked down their throat. Just like the Heart Foundation. Come on, boys. And uh, Smash and Crush are the chosen one for this tag match, which... It's amazing to me. Vince is looking at Smash and saying, "Oh, he looks a lot like Axe. I get him confused all the time." No, no offense. I'm sorry. I, I, there's a lot of times I get confused about which wrestlers which. I would never confuse Barry Darso with Bill Eadie. I'm sorry. They just look completely different. Uh, actually, honestly, Smash and Crush look more similar, other than Crush being a lot taller and younger. But they both had mullets and stuff, and Axe had short hair and was definitely looked older. So, sorry, Vince. I, I don't see how you can get them confused. Mean Gene is with the Hart Foundation. Again, we're having an interview while, while Demolition just wanders around the ring. Uh, Brett thought it would be Axe and Smash. Jim Neidhart says they don't pay me to think, which is true. And it doesn't matter to him about the members of Demolition. They're just going to wrestle whoever. And then Brett has the cheesiest line of them all. He says, just like Phil Collins, we're going to be two hearts beating as one. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. Heart Foundation, it must have been a little disconcerting not to know until this very moment which two members of Demolition you were going to face for the tag team title. But, gentlemen, it appears that the pieces of the puzzle have finally fallen into place. I must admit, it's been a little confusing, but I thought all along it was going to be the two original and most experienced members of Demolition, Axe and Smash. What about you, Anvil? What do you think? Think? (laughs) They don't pay me to think. They pay me to be tough like an Anvil. Hence the name, right? Right? Yeah. It never mattered to me because when I get in the ring, I just don't care. Yeah. Settle down, Anvil. Settle down. 
He's a little anxious, and so am I. Anxious to once again be the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. And now, since we only have to worry about two demolition, you can bet that the Hart Foundation, we're gonna make flatliners out of Axe and Crush. Yeah, demolition! After the heart attack we're gonna give you, you'll be buying pacemakers by the truckload, baby! Yeah! Just like Phil Collins says, what we have here are two hearts beating as one. <laughs> Let's get back to ringside. Which just made me cringe for multiple reasons. Um, the Heart Foundation is out next. Uh, this is the uh, the jacket that uh, Natty wore uh, after Jim passed away a year or two ago that she wore to SummerSlam. So bit of history with the jacket there uh smash starts with brett neidhart jumps crush and the hearts hit a double reverse elbow to smash the hearts make quick tags and keep smash from getting the tag to crush smash slams brett and crush comes in he slams brett misses a leg drop smash and neidhart get tags anvil then gets kicked in the back of the head by crush and then he takes over on neidhart Nightheart stops him with a clothesline, then Smash and Brett come back in. Brett clotheslines him and dropkicks Crush. Brett takes on both members all by himself, dominates them. Hits a Russian leg sweep to Smash, but only gets a two count. Hits a backbreaker, then Brett comes off his second rope with his elbow drop, but Crush breaks the cover and saves Smash. Demolition hit their double-team finisher, uh, whatever it was called. Uh, I don't remember what their finisher was called, sorry. So when one guy has him over the knee and the other guy drops off the top turnbuckle, they hit it to Brett and they win the match. Or so I thought, no, this is a two out of three falls match, apparently, even though I swear it, no one mentioned this going into this match. But it was so. OK, let's get two more falls out of this thing. Brett takes a mini choke slam from Crush, which is just Brett running into your hand and then just falling over. So it's kind of stupid looking. Smash hits a belly-to-back suplex to Brett for a near fall. Then Crush comes in, puts Brett in a chin lock. Brett breaks out, hits a big lariat. Neidhart gets a tag, runs wild, hits a power slam for two on Smash. Brett tags in. They hit the heart attack on Smash, but Crush takes out the ref, and Earl DQs them for the second fall. So finally, a ref stands up for himself and uh, DQs them. We'll see how Earl feels about uh, people messing with them later on in the night, but uh, here he's not going to take it. Uh, he DQs them, so now it's one and one. Uh, this is for the tag belts, by the way. Demolition were the tag champs going into this. Now Demolition sneak attack Brett before the third fall he can, can begin before the bell rings again. This allows Axe to run down and hide under the ring. Uh, I guess this is why Vince said, oh, I get him confused all the time, because they were going to do twin magic. Twin magic, which also means Earl Hebner is an idiot as well. He hides under the ring. Hitman tries a sunset flip. Uh, to smash that gets a two count a shoulder block from brett to smash as neidhart carries brett off the buckle and slams him onto smash for a two count axe and sneaks into the ring so twin magic works it's fine he beats down brett clotheslines him russian leg sweeps him and gets a two count brett is run sternum first into the post then crush takes over with no tag doesn't seem to matter. I mean, Earl's already let accent, so what does it matter? Smash crawls out from under the ring. They beat down Brett behind the ref's back. Hot shot to Brett, and you know who can't stand for this? The Legion of Doom. For some reason, Hawk and Animal are here to save the Heart Foundation. Hawk trips Crush, who stumbles into a shoulder block from Neidhart, who leaped over the top rope from the apron to do this. 
Brett hooks a leg and pins him, and the Hart Foundation capture the WWF Tag Team Championship once again. Which, this match, despite all the tomfoolery and the hijinks and the twin magic and the LOD, I thought this was a outstanding tag team match. This was really good. Oh, yes. Without a doubt, this was a great tag team match. Yeah, the uh, I, two things I really loved. Uh, I think this was, I think Jim the Anvil really stood out in this match because he usually doesn't really impress me, but he did some things in this match that were were pretty cool. The 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 time that he picked Brett off the turnbuckle and slammed him onto one of the members of Demolition, I thought was really awesome. Like I've never seen that move done since then. To do a shoulder tackle from leaping over the top rope on the apron, like, I thought that was really awesome. And then the roll-up to Brett, like, uh, the Hart Foundation, again, they were the better workers here. But, I mean, Demolition Demolition also had three men to do work, and they, they looked fine as well. You know, Crush didn't really do a whole lot for me uh, here in this match, but uh, Smash and then Axe's contributions were good. I don't think you needed the LOD interaction here. I think you could have just had the match finish like that. But I guess you need to try to explain how the other member of Demolition gets taken out. And this would, of course, lead to a Demolition LOD match that I, I don't recall ever happening. It happened at Survivor Series, but never got to actually have that dream match. So, and then Axe was, uh, this was phasing out Axe. And, uh, of course, Crush and Smash were broken up, and we got the Repo Man and Kona Crush. So, and then I mean, this was towards the end of the Heart Foundation too. So it's not just a, these two perennial tag teams of the late '80s and early '90s and WWF here on their basically towards their last run. And so, uh, if this is the match you go out on, basically, I mean. Uh, I thought this was outstanding. Uh, we get a WrestleMania 7 promo. Uh, yeah, buy tickets. Please buy tickets. It's happening at the Coliseum. We've got 100,000 seats to sell. Please buy tickets. Um, if you want tickets, you can call 1-800-877-1414. Or if you're in California, it's 213-480-3232. Uh, this WrestleMania, of course, would not be happening at uh, the Coliseum. They would have to move it to... Uh, another venue, a smaller venue, because they couldn't sell 100,000 tickets. And also, there were some death threats reported with the situation of Sergeant Star. No, that's, see, that's their excuse. That's their kayfabe excuse. That's The death threats to Sergeant Slaughter is their excuse. But, Patrick, it turns out, now this is going to really shock you, uh, but if I have an event at a 100,000-seat arena, if I have an event at a 20,000-seat arena, there's no difference if someone blows it. I mean, it could easily be terrorized either way. So that excuse uh, doesn't hold water. So it was just that business was down and they couldn't sell 100,000 tickets. But it's a it's a fanciful idea. It gets over the character of Sergeant Slaughter. So... If you're going to try to storyline reason your way out of why it's not happening at the Coliseum, that was a that was a good reason because it gets more heat on your top villain. Gene is with the Legion of Doom. The the LOD scream about wanting demolition. Uh, then the Heart Foundation come in and they just interrupt the Legion of Doom. I mean, they just walk right in front of them and take over this. Thing. I was like, the Legion of Doom should sm- smash you. No pun intended. The Heart Foundation celebrates 
and then Mooney wants to speak to Demolition. And, uh, man, Demolition can't come to the door right now. They're screaming in their locker room, so he gets no interview. He's shit out of luck. Sorry, Sean Mooney. Sherry is with Mean Gene, and she gloats about winning her grueling match. She said she heard some rumors about Sapphire, and she has a laugh. Time for a five-minute intermission, which is not included on the network. I wonder what they showed here for five minutes, but it just fades to black and comes back. (laughs) I wish they included whatever they aired in 1990. So we come back. Gene runs down the card. Still a ton of matches coming up. Gene snuck into Bad News Brown's locker room and saw his pet sewer rats. And we have a picture of them, although he didn't bring them to the ring. They also snuck into Jake's shower, which is creepy and weird. And they caught Damien the Snake just taking a shower. So they really, you know, intruded on Damien's privacy here as the man's trying to take a shower. Leave him alone. Big Boss Man is with Gene. He's a special guest ref between Jake the Snake and Bad News Brown. And he's got something else tonight. He's got two things to do tonight, and he's not wrestling in either of them. He says he's dealt with snakes his whole life, so it's no big deal to him. Mooney is with Jim Duggan and Nikolai Volkov, who is all about America now. And he's teaming with Hacksaw. Uh, They just give a promo about how they're happy to be in America. Earthquake and Dino Bravo are next with Gene as we just get interview after interview. They go over Quake's attack on Hogan where he dropped the big whoopsie on Hogan, uh, went off the Richter scale, and uh, just damaged uh, the Hulkster's ribs. Uh, We'll see how Hulk sells them tonight, but uh, he damaged them. And uh, Earthquake claims to have killed Hulkamania, which is... Obviously not true, because you're facing him tonight. With me now, ladies and gentlemen, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, Canadian strongman Dino Bravo, and the only natural disaster in the World Wrestling Federation, the Earthquake. You got that right, Mean Gene. There's going to be a disaster, and it's going to happen right here at SummerSlam. The last time I came face-to-face with Hulk Hogan, they carried him out on a stretcher. And all the little Hulkamaniacs cried their little eyes out because they knew Hulkamania was dead. But then the tugboat barged in and started rallying the Hulkamaniacs to send letters encouraging Hulk Hogan to step back into the ring. Well, tonight, Hulk Hogan makes the most foolish decision of his career when he steps into the ring with me. And Hogan... Where is that guy who inspired all your little Hulkamaniacs? Where is that guy who encouraged them to say their prayers? I'll tell you where he is. Right now, he's saying his prayers because he felt the tremors just like you did. He knows what it feels like to feel the devastation of an earthquake and be carried out just like you. But tonight, there'll be two stretches at ringside. One for you, Hogan, and one for you, Big Boss Man. Earthquake, you don't have to worry about the Big Boss Man or anyone else stupid enough to show up in Hulk Hogan's corner. Because I'll take care of them just like you take care of Hogan. Baby, I guarantee you're all going to get more than your money's worth. Because tonight, for the first time in World Wrestling Federation history, there will be two stretchers side by side leaving the ring at the same time. (laughs) I'm telling you now, Gene, 
you'd better put in a call to the Red Cross and get the ambulances lined up because this is one earthquake that you can predict. And when it hits, Hulkamania will crumble once and for all into complete <laughs> devastation. Oh, I can't believe it. Please. Um, then there's highlights of Quake squashing Tugboat, his future partner. So uh, a massive man squashing another massive man, but uh, another friend of Hogan's. As uh, Hogan is the worst friend to have in wrestling because uh, he lets you get the shit beat out of you and he never comes to your rescue. He'll use you for matches and then he'll never be there in your corner. So uh, he's a shitty friend and uh, we'll see that again tonight. And in the future uh, with Hogan, as that's pretty much his gimmick. Mooney is with Jake the Snake. He's insulted that Bad News Brown hangs out with sewer rats. How disgusting. Damien sort of interrupts his promo with his tail section, just keeps getting in Jake's face, and it's pissing Jake off, I can tell. Get this damn snake's tail out of my face. Joining me now, one of the premier wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation, Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, Jake, it's well-founded that Bad News Brown is afraid of snakes, the question remains, are, are you afraid of sewer rats? You know, my man, they don't call me the snake for nothing. Because Damien and I, we have a lot in common. But how about you, bad news? You hang around with sewer rats. What does that say about you? But to answer your question, Sean, I'm not afraid of rats. No, because I don't have to be. You see, Damien here is really hungry. Yeah, I know. Bad News says he hasn't fed his rats for weeks. And they must have a voracious appetite. But I, what I want to know, Bad News, is just how hungry are you? Because that's exactly what it's going to come down to. Hunger. And hunger, that Bad News, is what separates a man like me from a mouse like you. Let's go back to ringside. And uh, Jake still gives a good promo, so I'll include it. Bad News Brown gets the jobber entrance here. Then Jake comes out, and special guest Big Boss Man is out next. His shirt already open. It didn't even pop open on the way to the ring. Already open. As uh, Big Boss Man slimming down. He's getting into his late 90s Boss Man shape here. As uh, he was not still Twin Tower sized. Uh, Jake goes for a DDT right away, but Brown gets away. Bad News wants the ghetto blaster, but Jake, his back, uh, gives out. Jake tries another DDT, but Brown rolls away again. Brown hits Jake in the midsection with a chair on the outside of the ring, but Bossman lets it go. He's fine with this, we think. Bad News then goes to the second rope, misses dropping a fist on Jake, a knee lift from Jake, some rights, and a clothesline, and the crowd wants the DDT. Bad News Brown back body drops Jake to avoid it. Then Bad News gets a chair again and hits Jake in the midsection. And Boss Man this time has had enough. Despite seeing it earlier, you get one on the house, two is not. Ding, 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 DQ. Bad News Brown is disqualified. As he gets Jake's snake, Damien. Well, he gets the bag anyway. And he's going to leg drop it. He's going to murder the snake, which he misses it, which is amazing that you can miss a an object like a bag. But the reason he missed it is because boss man was supposed to pull the bag out of the way and boss man missed his cue. So bad news. Brown did not actually want to kill the snake. If the snake was in there or whatever. So he knew what he was supposed to miss. So he missed the leg drop. 
Uh, Jake gets the snake out. So the snake was in there. That's right. Uh, he gets Damien out and chases Bad News Brown away with it, who did not bring his sewer rats out at all. And I was disappointed with that. You tease me with sewer rats and you don't deliver. This match uh, stunk. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was because you it was a fuck finish and you didn't get to see the D- DDT. So you didn't get to see the finisher that you wanted to see. So the crowd's not happy or the ghetto blaster. No guys got their finish. Uh, there, there wasn't a finish to the match. No one looks stronger. This match was just a, I'm, I'm sorry. This match was just a waste of time. What did you think of bad news? Brown and Jake, the snake Roberts. Yeah, I agree. It was a waste of time. Get another promo for WrestleMania seven, please buy tickets. Whoever you are, buy tickets. Demolition. Finally, they're ready to talk with Gene. They, I guess they just didn't want to talk with Sean Mooney and they all yell. Now it's time for a brother love segment. And I'm like, this is a pay-per-view. Why are we doing this? But here we go. Brother Love show time. Uh, Bruce Pritchard. Still 30 years later. Still all in the business. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter is his guest. Slaughter says he's only here to present the Sergeant Slaughter Great American Award. To Brother Love, of course. Which uh, he had said he would give this to him earlier. So this wasn't a surprise to Vince, anyway. I, I don't know about the crowd. Slaughter then declares war on Nikolai Volkov. Then Slaughter decides to get political. He says, Saddam Hussan, he mispronounces his name, uh, would kick our boys' butts. He says he's going to kick Nikolai's butt, and that's an order, which it's actually just a statement, but whatever. That is the tease of what's to come with Sergeant Slaughter, but he does nothing else on this show, so whatever. This could have been cut. This should have been on a Saturday Night's main event or something. Mr. Fuji is with the Orient Express and Sean Mooney. They cut away, and Jean has finally found Sapphire, but she ran away before Jean could interview her. She locked herself in a room. Orient Express is going to take on Duggan and Volkov. Please rise for God Bless America. And, uh, oh, this is a bad decision because this turns America into heels because they let Jim Duggan and Nikolai Volkov sing it, which I knew that was Volkov's gimmick before. But, man, um, this stunk and uh, actually got booed at first. But the crowd, they're still Americans at heart, Patrick, and they just they cheered at the end. Hey, good try, guys, even though you should never ever sing anything ever the orient express start brawling with duggan and volkov and they get atomic drops for their trouble volkov starts with tanaka the express double team him in the corner and fuji hits uh volkov with the cane behind the ref's back jim duggan gets the hot tag runs wild on the orient express hits a double clothesline all four men get in the ring start brawling the orient express get slung into each other three point stance into pat tanaka and he gets the win for the Patriots, the newly formed Patriots of Nikolai Volkov and Jim Duggan as he gets the three-point stance in the win. And then as we pan to the crowd, you see all the foam two-by-fours, which is one of the dumbest items I think you can buy as a wrestling fan, a foam two-by-four. Yeah, I think that if you were going to do this match and you just did the Sergeant, why, why not have Sergeant Slaughter run in on this match instead of doing the Brother Love segment? And then you could give more time to other matches i guess i i don't know this just stunk i hated this match now dusty Rhodes is with gene and he wants a word with sapphire but she won't open the door 
to Dusty Rhodes. Macho Man says the Founding Fathers must be disappointed if Dusty Rhodes is the American dream. Rhodes is already in the ring. He gets the jobber entrance this time, and he's staring down the aisle intently, hoping that Sapphire will walk out. But no, it's not. It's Macho Man on a throne by WBF rejects, I would call them. Uh, Muscle-bound men who carry him to the ring with Sherry walking beside them. He's still doing his Macho King gimmick, even though he doesn't wear a crown. The Million Dollar Man then appears near the ramp, and he says everyone has a price. And you could interpret this very wrongly if you didn't know the storyline, but that he purchased Sweet Sapphire. (laughs) He says he purchased a black woman. Um, No, it's not like that. He means he paid her off. He paid to get her a mink coat and a diamond necklace and a bag full of money. And she comes out and she's got it all on and she gets the bag full of money. And Dusty Rhodes, he forgets that he had a match with Macho Man at all. And he goes after Ted DiBiase and Virgil and Sweet Sapphire. But instead he gets jumped by Macho Man. The bell rings and the match is on. Macho drops an axe handle as Dusty gets in the ring. Sherry smashes Dusty behind the ref's back. Dusty fires up with some lefts, knocks Macho out of the ring. Macho Man hides behind Sherry as uh, Dusty comes out of the ring to, to fight him. And while he's hiding, she slips Macho Man a foreign object. Dusty teases punching Sherry, which would have turned him heel, but would have gotten a big pop from the crowd had he done it. Macho Man decks Dusty with a purse, a loaded purse, Sherry's purse, which was not what the object that she handed Macho Man. So I don't know what she handed him originally, but she handed him a purse eventually and Macho Man decks Dusty Rhodes. Can we get a replay of this? No, of course not. This is 1990. What are you, crazy? Uh, so, yeah, Macho gets a win with a loaded purse. I, I thought the match itself wasn't that good. I thought that Macho Man cheating to win on Dusty Rhodes is a bit silly, considering Dusty's supposed to be distracted, so it should be easier to beat him. You don't need to cheat, but whatever. It was fine. It, it was good enough. Uh, it's it's an average match. Uh, Mooney is with Ted DiBiase, Sapphire, and Virgil as they're next to their limo, and they're ready to leave. And Dusty comes charging in after him, but he can't catch up to the limo because it's a lot faster than Dusty Rhodes. So they peel out of there, and unfortunately for Sweet Sapphire, uh, she was devastated by being broken up with uh, Dusty Rhodes. She really... Really loved Dusty Rhodes, didn't want to work uh, without him, and uh, would exit the company shortly thereafter. And so this storyline really never got played out. And Virgil just sort of down the road dismissed it like, uh, Ted DiBiase just took all the stuff he gave her back. And that was the explanation. So, uh, yeah, sweet sapphire and Dusty Rhodes getting broken up here. Earthquake is out with Dino Bravo. Mean Gene is with the Hulkster and Boss Man. Again, people standing around in the ring for hours waiting on their opponents. As Hulkster and Boss Man, Boss Man is going to work this match too. He's going to be in Hogan's corner, which what has Hogan done for you? Uh, Nothing really, but he's a good guy and you're a good guy. So yeah, you're going to be in my corner, brother. Uh, Hulk thought Hulkamania was coming to an end. But it was the power of Hulkamania that carried him through. He dedicates this match to the Tugster, Tugboat. He dedicates this match to Tugboat. <laughs> Bossman says, you have the right to a speedy beating, which 
Okay. With me now, ladies and gentlemen, the immortal Hulk Hogan. And in his corner announced just a few days ago, the big boss man. Here we go, Hulkster. You know something, Earthquake? I remember what it felt like to be underneath your massive frame as you came crashing down on my ribcage. And I also remember you, Dino Bravo, and Jimmy Hart laughing out loud as they rolled me out in that stretcher, man. I remember the tears in the eyes of all my little Hulksters, wondering if this was really the end of Hulkamania. Question that even I wondered about myself. But most of all, I remember the outpouring of all my Hulkamaniacs, all their cards, man, all their letters, and thank God for all their prayers. And I also remember the man who was leading the charge of all my Hulkamaniacs, the big bad tugboat. You know something, Earthquake? The memory is still fresh in my mind of you and Dino Bravo double teaming the tugboat, making sure he wouldn't be in my corner here at SummerSlam. And that's why we're dedicating this match tonight to the Tugster. And it's also why your plan's not gonna work, Earthquake. Because I'm not going into the ring on my own tonight. I've got the big boss man on my side, making sure that justice will be served. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Earthquake. Dino Bravo, Jimmy Hart, this is Philadelphia, where many other rats on the people were first formulated. But the only rats you three are entitled to are the right to be beaten into silence. The right to have millions of fans present during that beating. And the right to a swift and impartial trial. With justice, Judge Hogan presiding. Ah, big boss man, I can tell you your founding fathers would be mighty proud. You know something that's right, Mean Gene. Another chapter in American history will be written tonight. And just as Thomas Bossman Jefferson stood at the side of George Washington Hogan as I chopped down the cherry tree with the 24-inch pythons, we'll chop you down, Earthquake, and the holster never tells a lie. So what you gonna do when the holster and the big boss man passed their constitutional rights on to you. I can hardly wait for this one, Vince. Let's get back to you. Earthquake's been in the ring forever with his theme playing this entire time, which if you've heard Earthquake's theme is not very much just to be looped. It sucks. Uh, boss man gets an entrance, but then, of course, you know, he can't come out together. Hogan needs his own entrance, of course. And when he comes out, Patrick, um, sorry to say it, but... Uh, Ultimate Warrior, not the top star in this company. Uh, I know they tried the handoff, they tried the passing of the torch, but Hulk Hogan, firmly the biggest star in this company in 1990. Um, just massive, massive reaction to Hogan coming out here. Foam fingers, uh, just all the Hogan uh, grandstanding and hot dogging here. As he comes in and he spits at Quake. On the who's standing on the outside of the ring and gives him the big pointer finger, and then we get Hogan chance before the match even starts. Test of strength at first, neither man moves. Earthquake throws Hogan down a couple times to Jimmy Hart's delight. A shoulder block and Hogan goes outside to regroup with Bossman. Hogan tries to slam Quake when he gets in the ring, but he can't do it because he's got the bad ribs, brother. John Tenta runs into a boot, eats some clotheslines and punches, but the big man stays on his feet. Hogan winds up a big punch, and finally, the Quakester goes down, and he rolls outside to regroup with his heel friends. Hogan then decks Dino Bravo, and then Bossman and Hogan big boot Bravo together, and big boot Quake all behind Earl's back. Well, actually, he was in front of Earl. Earl lets this go. Earl is fine with these men cheating in front of them. 
Uh, Dino Bravo then sneak attacks Hogan with Quake, and they slam Hogan behind Earl's back, because I guess they would have gotten DQ'd, as Earl were very favorite, you know, playing favorites here with the faces. Earthquake hits an elbow drop to Hogan for a two count. Quake hits a second rope forearm to Hogan. Then he locks Hogan in a Boston Crab. Hogan gets the ropes, crawls out to regroup again. Bravo scoop slams him while he's out there. The Hulkster gets slammed when he gets in the ring. Quake misses dropping another elbow. Hogan tries a body slam, but Quake is too big, and he falls on Hogan for a near fall. A bear hug for ages, and Hogan rips Earl's shirt apart to escape, which should have gotten him DQ'd right there. You're not tearing my shirt off, buddy. And uh, I'm sure this was just Hogan ribbing Earl for some reason, but, like, man, what the fuck was that? Like, Hogan's supposed to be this this perfect guy and he fucking rips or like he takes Earl by the pocket to rip his shirt to help him escape from the bear hug, which I thought was really stupid. And now Earl has to ref the rest of this match in a torn shirt. So he looks like an idiot too. He punches out of the bear hug. Hogan does. He gets quite groggy, but runs into a power slam anyway. Uh, this only gets a two count quite goes for the big whoopsie nails it instead of pinning. He rings up the Richter scale and goes for it again and lands it. One, two. Hogan kills another man's finishing move. This man is your finishing move's worst nightmare because he kicked out at two. This this move that broke his ribs a few weeks earlier that nearly killed Hulkamania. He took two of them tonight, Patrick, and he's just fine. He hulks up, in fact. This energizes him. Uh, having this massive 400-pound man squash him energizes him. We get the finger wagging, three punches, a big boot, but Quake doesn't fall. So Hogan says, slam him, and he does the the arm, the, the mannerism, and the crowd goes wild. And he slams Earthquake. He leg drops him, but Earl is distracted by Dino Bravo and Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart decks him while he's covering Quake. And then Hogan... Again, tries to get DQ'd in this match as he takes Jimmy Hart like a lawn dart and throws him into Earthquake, Rey Mysterio style. And then everyone brawls on the outside. Jimmy Hart decks Quake with the bullhorn by accident. Then Hogan slowly slams Quake onto a table that doesn't break, but it wasn't very, it wasn't like Hogan did it very viciously, so it's fine. It just kind of tipped over. It looked like shit. Whatever. Hogan rolls into the ring one, two, ten, the quickest ten count in the world, and Hogan wins by countout. So this feud will continue, but it really won't. So don't expect to see this on a pay-per-view anytime soon. Uh, probably settled on Saturday night's main event. But uh, this match, just, I did not like this match at all. And um, Hogan was way over. And I uh, got to give him that, but totally made Earthquake look like a fool. And you burn through another top heel that could challenge Warrior or Hogan, whoever's got the belt. You burn through him when you do shit like this. So um, not a fan. What did you think of this match? I really don't know how to describe it. Trace, it just, I wasn't a fan of it. Bossman then grabs a chair and smacks it across Quake's back, but Quake no-sells it. Bossman breaks out his nightstick to defend the Hulkster as the heels were going to team up on him, and the heels leave. They're scared of a nightstick, but not Hulk Hogan, who's apparently invulnerable to pain. 
Afterwards, Hogan celebrates longer than the match took as boss man just paces around him and says, oh, you didn't. Did you, did you look over here, Hulkster, and do the ear thing? And boss man just because boss man isn't allowed to celebrate. So Hogan just celebrates. And it was ridiculous because it was a count out win. It was like Hogan was celebrating like he just won the belt pack. But it was a count out win. But the crowd loved it. So who am I to argue with the crowd? But if I was at home and I bought the pay-per-view, I'd be like, what the fuck, man? Come on, let's get on with it. What are we doing? Uh, Sean Mooney is with Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. Rick Rude recounts Rocky Balboa uh, won his match here against Apollo Creed. And at first I was like, does Rick Rude think that Rocky was a real thing? Like, does he not realize that was a movie? But then he says that was Hollywood. And he's got the advantage in the cage because Warrior doesn't know his way around a cage. Heenan says Rude beat him before and he'll do it again, which I don't know when he beat him, but he did apparently. Because he's going to win that Intercontinental title. With me now, ladies and gentlemen, Bobby the Brain Heenan and ravishing Rick Rude. Hey! I know, the next World Wrestling Federation champion. That's exactly right. You know, Philadelphia is ripe with history. Well, it was right here at the Spectrum that the Italian stallion Rocky Balboa made his way into the ring to face the seemingly invincible Apollo Creed. But let me tell you, that was Hollywood. This is reality. But like it does so many times, art imitates life. And your life is about to change, Ultimate Warrior, because you know nothing about a steel cage match. It's my kind of match. I've got the advantage. And tonight, Warrior, you won't be able to run. And you won't be able to hide. After you make your entrance and the steel cage door is slammed behind you, it will symbolically seal your fate. And I will become the next World Wrestling Federation champion and take my rightful place outside the spectrum next to the statue of Rocky Balboa. You see, Warrior, Ravishing Rick Rude beat you before. And tonight, he's going to beat you again. But this time, it's going to be inside of a steel cage the most grueling match in the World Wrestling Federation. There are two ways to win. The first man out of the cage or pin your opponent. And anything goes. And when it's all over, Warrior, there won't be anything left of you. There won't be any sequels either. No Rocky 2, 3, or 4. And there ain't gonna be no rematch. First man out or pinfall rules for this one. So that's the stipulation, escape or pinfall. Heenan says there will be no sequels, no Rocky 2, no Rocky 3, no Rocky 4. And then I guess if this was taped in 2020, he could have kept going with all the Rocky sequels. Uh, but he says no rematch. Uh, well, Rick Rude says no rematch, which I think is awesome if Rick Rude had won and just didn't give him a rematch. Fuck you, buddy. Uh, Gene is with Dusty Rhodes, who is sad about Sapphire. Uh, this is all to fill time as they have to build the ring. Uh, Dusty, he says, I'm going through a storm, baby. I'm going through a storm, but I'm trying to get out of it. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes is out next to the ring, and the cage crew is building the cage, as this is the old steel cage they had to put up piece by piece. It didn't just lower from the ceiling like today's cages do. They build the cage, and he says, hey, you know what? This is going to be faster than it used to be, because we got 12 guys working on it instead of 8. So, uh... We'll see how fast it is as we get 15 more promos before it's match time. 
Hogan's bicep welcomes us to a Mean Gene inter- interview with the Hulkster. He says he's going to ride up to Jack Tunney's office, brother, on his Harley and let him know that all the buildings are being made earthquake-proof, and he's going to take that fat dude. What an, what an asshole, Hulk, calling earthquake fat. He's a sumo wrestler. He's supposed to be fat. And he's going to beat him until Jack Tunney gives him another title shot, brother. Hogan says now there are four new demandments. See, in the Bible, there are ten commandments. Well, Hogan has demandments. He says, train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and the newest one, believe in yourself. He says he's getting a new surfboard, brah, and he's going to ride the tidal wave. Get it? Oh, boy. Hulk Hogan, hot on the heels of victory here at SummerSlam tonight. What a powerhouse of a match between you and Earthquake, but I don't know, Hulk, if it's been settled. You know something mean, Gene? The only thing left to do, brother, is to kickstart my wide glide, brother. Hang on to the ape hangers and with the largest arms in the world, man. Ride right up to Jack Tunney's office, brother. Let him know that the Hulkamaniacs realize they're still the strongest strongest power in the world, brother, and Jack Tunney, I just want you to know, dude, they're building new buildings all the way around the country, New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Africa, Asia, North Pole, South Pole, and all points in between, brother, and the new buildings mean, Gene, they're earthquake-proof, brother, because, yes, earthquake-proof, because I'm going to take this big fat dude, and I'm going to drag him all the way around the country, brother, I'm going to beat him in each and every arena, until Jack Tunney puts me right back where I belong in the number one contender spot, brother. Well, Hulk Hogan, in all due respect, my friend, I think you're there already. I'll tell you what, a strong, strong outing for you against this mammoth earthquake. Well, you know something mean, Gene? I felt the love of the Hulkamaniacs, brother. The 400,000 cars and letters in just a few short weeks proved, man, that this thing's going to last forever. And now, Hulkamaniacs, this is the decade of the little Hulksters, brother. And now, there are four demandments. Four demandments. Train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and believe in yourself, brother. If you believe in yourself like you made me believe in myself, you can get anything you want. And right now, I'm getting a new nine-foot gun made, brother. A brand new surfboard with a two-and-a-half-foot skeg. And I'm going to go out to Venice Beach, and I'm going to chase each and every shark I can find. And when I find the biggest wave I can find, I'm going to catch that tidal wave, brother. I said, title wave, and I'm going to ride it right to the top. What you going to do, WWF, Earthquake, and Jack Tunney, and anybody else in my way? All right, Hulk Hogan, I thank you very much. Vince, Roddy, let's get back to you. Oh, my. What you going to do? And then he poses and huffs and puffs. As this is towards the end of Hogan being the roidy monster. Like, he was starting to slim down some, but he was still... He was still pretty fucking big here in 1990. And uh, this is a, as cheesy as it is, it's classic Hogan promo, so I'll include it. Vince and Piper fill more time as uh, they're still not done with the ring, and they toss to Sean Mooney, who's with Quake, Bravo, and Jimmy Hart. Quake screams, Jimmy Hart screams, and Dino Bravo all scream, so a screamy promo. They're not happy, to say the least. Gene is with WWF champion Ultimate Warrior. This should be fun. Ultimate Warrior starts this promo very cringeworthy. If you thought Hogan was cringeworthy, oh, Ultimate Warrior. Vince must have gotten his ear. You gotta be more down to earth like the Hulkster. You can't be doing these 
Spacey Wob promos, you gotta do jokes. Do a joke, damn it. So, Ultimate Warrior, this man from outer space, this man from parts unknown who is supposed to not know comedy or anything or anything about American history or anything about Earth, really, in general, leads with a joke. Hey, Gene, do you know what Heenan and Rude have in common with the Liberty Bell? One is cracked and one is a ding-dong. And Mean Gene laughs at this to my dismay. I could not believe Gene forced to laugh at this. Proud to be standing in the presence of the World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, do you know what Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common with the Liberty Bell? Well, well, no. Uh, one is cracked and the other is a ding dong. ultimate warrior your destiny lies before you just as our forefathers trudged straight into the unknown so you too must take another step in your reign as the world wrestling federation champion into a virtual unknown that being a 15 foot high steel cage and you take that trek knowing full well that the man you meet inside the cage has once before defeated you course of human events it becomes necessary to protect my inalienable right to be the world wrestling federation champion i must do what our forefathers have always done never afraid to face an adversary always willing to step into a new frontier always willing to make a sacrifice and you recruit will not be able to prevent the establishment of a more perfect union between me and my warriors for the sacrifice that we are prepared to make against an adversary is far greater than anything you could ever know we don't fear the unknown of a new frontier, Rick Rude. We revel in it! It is these things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate nation, and it is these things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate warrior. And then Warrior cuts him off and goes into a regular Ultimate Warrior promo. He rambles about things that are in the lifeblood of the ultimate warrior. Then the WWE Network follows up Warrior ruining his promo by ruining Rick Rude's entrance. Fuck you, WWE Network. Fuck you. Fuck you. Just pay for Rick Rude's theme song. Stop it with this shit. I fucking hate this. What the fuck? Just pay the guy this $20 or whoever wrote the song. This is insulting. So they put the, the the fake porn music in that they use for Rick Rude now. They pipe it in, but since this was 1990, they can't do it as slickly as they do with the WCW Nitros, where they constantly cover music and stuff, or even the ECW stuff. For some reason, they couldn't put in any crowd noise, and it muffles Piper and Vince's commentary, so it's it completely kills Rick Rude's entrance here. So... Rick Rude comes out, cut the music. Thank God, yes, cut the music. He would like to have all the fat, out-of-shape Pennsylvania pissants to keep the noise down. 
while he gives them a good look at the next WWF champion. Hit the music. No, please don't. Don't hit the music. But they hit the fake music again, and he does his normal Rick Rude thing. Warrior's music hits, and he runs out. And see, this is confusing for him because he has no ropes to shake because they're enclosed by the cage. So he shakes the whole cage. These men spent hard earned time and money building this cage and this man's going to break it by shaking a very loose cage by the way uh then warrior after he shakes the cage for a minute he's like i don't know what to do now so he runs around the cage about 15 times and probably gasses himself out here rude gets on the cage and says get in the ring you fucking pussy warrior raises the belt at him to say look what i got and Rude is just like, get in the cage then, let's do this. Warrior then climbs over the cage, of course, because that's the way you get in the ring. But he is supposed to be from outer space or somewhere, so instead of just using the door, of course, he's going to climb over. And the bell rings with Warrior still on the outside, so you know what I would have done, Patrick? I would have just dropped to the floor and won the match. Because <laughs> since they rang the bell with him on the outside of it. Uh, but Warrior gets in the in the ring uh, he knocks Rude's head off the corner of the cage, and he goes down. Warrior then comes off the top. Oh, this is scary, but he just does a chop. So even he, Warrior knows his limitations coming off the top. Uh, he tosses Rude into the cage. Rude does some comedy bumping off of it. It's like he, he takes the bump off the cage and then does a flare flop. Piper says Rude should tie Warrior's tassels to the cage, which I thought would have been a great strategy. Rude gets tossed to the cage again. Warrior runs, tries a crossbody, but he hits the cage head-on. Piper makes fun of Warrior's fuzzy boots. Rude somehow is bleeding, which um, I'm sure he lied and said it was hard way, because this is still no blading era, but he's not bleeding too much, so maybe he actually did it. But uh, Rude gets a leg over the cage, but he drops a forearm to Warrior instead. So instead of winning the title, the WWF title, he drops a forearm to Warrior. Rude rams Warrior into the cage. Rude lands a right, then slams Warrior into the cage. They have a strike battle. Warrior's face gets grinded against the cage, and now he's bleeding a little bit, but you really can't tell because he's got part of his face paint still left. So he doesn't. it's not too bad if he's bleeding that much at all. Rude goes for a Rude Awakening, but Warrior just breaks Rude's grip, which was actually kind of a cool spot, a cool counter, like, that you can't even get your hands around my neck. Then he clotheslines him. He tries his running splash, his warrior splash, but Rude gets his knees up. He has it well scouted. A Rude Awakening connects! And Rick Rude, instead of going to the door and winning the WWF title and just having Bobby Heenan open the door and say, come on out, champ, we just did it. Instead, he climbs to the top of the cage. He's going to hit a swanton bomb. Just kidding. It's Rick Rude. He leaps down and bashes Warrior in the head with a fist. And he says, you know, that's not enough. I'm going to do it again. So he goes up to the other corner of the cage and climbs up. And he comes off the top of the cage. This time, Warrior decks him in the chest. Bobby Heenan does the Terry Gordy spot as Warrior tries to leave. And it's a throwback to the Freebirds and Von Erichs here as... Warrior sticks his head out of the cage and smack. And just, this really looked like it hurt. This looked like it sucked. And even even Heenan had a look on his face like, well, you weren't supposed to really let it hit you, you dummy. Like, 
Heenan had a look on his face like, I just really fucked up this guy that's supposed to be the future of our company. <laughs> I just concussed this man <laughs> with the cage door. Um, Rude covers him, but Warrior kicks out at two. Both men try a shoulder block, and they both crash to the mat. Rude crawls to the door and grabs Heenan's hands, who's going to help him, which I thought was a cool spot. Warrior, though, pulls Bobby in. Rude, during this time, while Warrior was distracted with Bobby, Rude should have once again run for the door and won the WWF title, but he doesn't. Instead, Warrior gives an atomic drop to Bobby, who tumbles out of the door, a hilarious bump because he had to bump across the ring out of the door. And that takes Bobby out. Rude then clotheslines Warrior. Warrior hulks up. He does his press, not slam, but just press you up and drop you. And then he mocks Rude's pose on the cage as he runs away like a coward. What a strong champion you have here who climbs over the cage and escapes. This is the problem with the escape the cage stipulation. Your champ looks like a, a sissy, especially when he could pin him and win it that way. So he escapes, wins the match, but he's not done with Rude. He climbs the cage, swings the belt around Seth Rollins style, celebrates by mimicking Rude's pose again. He loves swiveling his hips here. As I think this, they had the pose down, I think, before the IC match. So uh, Warriors had a lot of time to work on his Rick Rude impersonation. And he wanted to get it across here. And then Vince says, see you at Survivor Series, and we're out. Yeah, Rick Rude had a... I didn't have much to work with, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as good as their IC match. And I think this match, honestly, in addition to the reaction that Hogan got, probably put a lot of doubt in Vince McMahon's mind about Warrior going forward as champion, and not a good showing for Ultimate Warrior. And I. Would have probably been furious as Rick Rude uh, with this match because it also makes him look bad. And, uh, you know, Rick Rude uh, is a much better wrestler, but I think the steel cage stipulation didn't need to be there. They probably should have just done another one on one match because there was no real reason for the, the stipulation other than that he has Heenan as a manager. But he had Heenan as a manager before and it was fine. So I, I don't know. I just I, it took too long to build the cage. So you had all those promos. It took the match didn't take that long. The match was only like 10 minutes. And I just thought this didn't deliver. It was 10 minutes and five seconds. So, I mean, a, a 10 minute main event. That was it. That's I mean, but this is Ultimate Warrior. So and uh, yeah, I am not a fan of this match, but. I give Rick Rude some credit for trying. He he was Warrior's best opponent. And, uh, yeah, if Rick Rude can't get a great match out of you in a steel cage in, with, a, with a stipulation, then you're probably not doing too great. So on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank SummerSlam 1990? I want to give it a slick. Oh, a slick. Wow, a slick for your rating. Wow, that is... Uh, Pretty bad. Uh, I did really love the Heart Foundation match on here, and I liked Marty's handicap match. But aside from those two matches, yeah, I'm going to have to put this one pretty low. I'm going to give it a Bobby Heenan. A Bobby Heenan. I'll pick a manager as well. So, um, yeah, like there were a couple of good matches, but 
boy, way too many promos. You had a brother love segment. You had matches end in DQs and countouts, and I just yeah interference and uh, yeah, I just was not really feeling this SummerSlam overall. There was a lot of star power, and I mean the crowd, to their credit, was into it. So. You know, they had a five-minute intermission. We didn't, I guess. So maybe they had the benefit of taking <laughs> taking a break and uh, walking away. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of star power here. It's unfortunate that star power doesn't translate into good wrestling because I guarantee you whatever was going on in WCW in 1990 had better wrestling on it. Great American Bash was headlined by Sting versus Flair for 16 minutes. Uh, Lex Luger took on mean Mark Callis for the NWA US title. Dudes with Attitude, Steiner Brothers, Big Van Vader, Tom Zink. Yeah, we've we've reviewed this this match, Great American Bash 1990, I think. Pretty sure we have. Anyway, uh yeah. Whatever WCW did in nineteen ninety was in ring gonna be better, but just didn't have the star power of this WWF conglomerate it's uh it's my pick for this week and i'm gonna pick something short for us something short to watch but something relative to uh bob armstrong i looked up on the network to try to find uh uh, the longest bob armstrong match when you search bob armstrong on the network this is the longest match uh that comes up in your search results and it is an episode of the classic 1986 World Championship Wrestling TBS show, the November 29th episode of World Championship Wrestling, and it is headlined by Bullet Bob teaming with his son. So uh, that'll be my pick. It'll be easy to watch because uh, it's not a three-hour pay-per-view. So this should be fun. A lot of squash matches, a lot of great 80s mustaches. This should be good. That'll be my little tribute to Bob Armstrong, even though you're a much bigger fan of his than than I am. But this will be he wrestles in blue jeans in this. Sorry, he doesn't have his bullet mask on, but this will be my pick for next week. You can find us uh, retro wrestling podcast dot com. You can go to at retro W podcast on Twitter or at ref Patrick Young on Twitter. Also go to see us on Facebook And subscribe, like, share, and always love. Do all those things with the podcast. That'll do it for this week. Uh, I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee for wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo.